It's on now. I had it on and I turned it off. I hope you didn't hear me singing in the back. <laughs> You're still here, so you must not have. Uh, but we're going to be in Ruth chapter 4, and the title of the message is Buy It For Yourself. Uh, and again, I just want to remind us, when we get into the scripture, we're coming to see Jesus, right? As good as Pastor Caleb is, as great as the worship it was Ben and the team, we come here to meet with Jesus. And we can do that, thankfully, because of the cross. We can do that anywhere, the Bible says. But this morning, as we come to the Bible, let's remember that we're coming to God's Word. Let's remember that Jesus wants us to see himself in these words that we're going to read about these two people thousands of years ago. And I believe we're seeing a parable of sorts, that we're seeing a picture of Jesus redeeming the church when we see this man, Boaz, redeem this converted foreigner, Ruth, uh, to his family and their posterity. We see God's next chapter in redemption, like we saw last week, that God visited this lady, much like I visited the, the Samaritan woman at the well, to bring her into the fold, but then also to show us that he was setting up the line of Jesus, the Messiah, our ultimate king, right before the Bible gets into the time of the kings. And he would do it through these folks. And ultimately, it was for Jesus. We know that Ruth was David's great-grandmother, and Rahab, what Rahab, if you remember her in Jericho, uh, she was potentially a prostitute on the wall, that she was Boaz's mom. So God is using these people who are outside the Jewish family to bring them into the Jewish family by their faith and trust in God to bring about his only son, Jesus. We remember uh, with uh, Pastor Caleb, and I'm sure other times in Ruth, we've seen the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, that he was to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. That there was this responsibility in their society that if someone was in slavery, they needed their blood avenged, that their family land had been forfeited, it was to buy him back, or that he was to carry on the family name. That there was this responsibility to family, responsibility to heritage, responsibility to your nation, your tribe, to be uh, involved in this way, to take care of each other in a way that goes beyond, I think, things that we understand commonly here uh, in our modern culture. But Naomi tells Ruth to go ask Boaz. We remember last time she does. He says he will, but that there's one who's closer that he needs to add, ask first, and we're going to see that today. But Boaz is an honorable man, and I hope that we strive to be honorable men and women. And as, we got in, as I got into the study this past week, I felt really convicted by the Lord about things of my character, right? Things that, you know, we see ourselves in one light, but what is the true light that we're really in? And when we come to the Scripture, I think sometimes we don't like to come to it because it does shine such a bright light on us, and that sword of the Spirit cuts deep. And uh, it's good to be cut. Know that when God does cut you, like he was cutting me about some things this week, that it's good. That he does it because he loves us and he wants to make us better. But Boaz is honorable and he does the right thing. And the Lord uses him in ways that Boaz can never imagine. Like we saw, he's going to bring about the Messiah through Boaz just being the, doing the right thing and, and marrying this woman who I think he wants to marry. Uh, so that's kind of cool that when Boaz does do the right thing, it's a, it's a good thing and it's a blessing. And I'm going to start off today by reading of two parables. Uh, it's in Matthew 13, if you want to turn there. Otherwise, just listen. Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he sells all that he has and buys that field. Man, I just, we could just spend time in the parables, but I would butcher them. And Jesus goes on, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Let's pray. God, this morning, God, you gave so much to buy us back. Lord, we can't comprehend 
the depth of your sacrifice for us. Despite our character, despite our flaws and our sin, you outright died for us, God. So help us to see that this morning. Thank you for these people of history, Boaz and Ruth, that one day we'll meet them in heaven and we'll get to know all about it. But Lord, that we know that you're doing things even in our midst this morning. God, whatever you're doing, God, would you have your way? Whatever you want to say to us, God, would you say it? Whatever you have for us to do and be responsible for, God, help us to take on the righteous responsibility that's before us, God. That Not that we would do it for self-righteousness, but we would do it because we know that it's good for us, it's good for others, and ultimately our Father uh, who died for us uh, is asking us to do it. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I said first service. Honestly, I didn't know going into these 12 or so verses how much I was going to get out of it, and apparently I got too much out of it. Ben was kind enough to remind me that I went to extra innings first service, so I'm trying not going to go into that. I apologize. But if I do, uh, the doors will be locked, so you have no choice. <laughs> but just kidding. Uh, it's tough with Pastor Caleb being in the front row. It's like <laughs> he's just going to come up here any moment with the hook and <laughs> grab it. It's good. It's a blessing. Uh, thank you, brother, for letting me share this morning. But let's read the first four verses of Ruth chapter 4 together. It says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the uh, elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And so they sat down. Uh, then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother, Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And the man said, I will redeem it. Well, Boaz, depending on where you look, his name could mean fleetness or the quality of meaning speedy. And I think that it has some connotation here because he wasted no time in doing the right thing. And it's so important for us to do the right thing right away. Uh, there's the parable of two sons with Matthew uh, and Jesus. And he says, basically, take out the trash. One says, says, sure, Dad, I'll take out the trash. But he goes and plays Nintendo. The other son says, no way, I'm not doing that. But later on feels convicted and says, I'm going to go do what my dad says. And Jesus asked the scribes and Pharisees and those guys, well, who was obedient? He says, well, the son who went back and did the thing that you told him. So that it's not about what we say we're going to do. It's about what we actually do that shows whether we're obedient or not. And it's important for us to do that. And Boaz does this the first thing in the morning, that he gets up right away. He goes into town and he waits to do the right thing. Just like Naomi had said to Ruth, just let, he's going to do it. He's a righteous man. He's going to take care of it. But James 14 says this to us. It says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And now I hope I don't make the message too heavy this morning. But as believers, when we first come to Jesus, he'll take things away from us and he'll give us challenges and say, hey, this should not be a part of our life anymore. And I can remember some things falling away easy, some things struggling with, some things still come back in my life. And I go, why is this coming back? But as we grow in our maturity with the Lord, it's not just about not doing the wrong thing. It's about if we don't do the right thing, that that's sin. And that's the most important thing. As we follow God, we should be striving to do the right thing that our Father has asked us to do. I think Boaz is just doing this naturally. I don't think he's sitting at home over-spiritualizing, pontificating. What's the right thing for me to do? I think he just goes about his daily walk with the Lord and wants to do the right thing in life. And we should be that way too. And as a side note, the commentary taught me that 
Two, two pillars in Solomon's temples were named Boaz and Yachin. In him is strength, and he will establish that. Boaz, doing the right thing, potentially earned him a name as a pillar, right? You think about going to Washington, D.C. If you've been there, you see statues of Abraham Lincoln and our founding fathers, that these men of old get these places of importance, and Boaz was one of these men. Well, Boaz, he goes down to the gate, and he sits there. And I asked the first service, do you remember what it was like without a cell phone? <laughs> do you kind of wish you were without a cell phone every time you pay that bill? Ever go out and do the frantic, I check my pockets, right? Keys, wallet, phone, right? If, it's, if I'm wearing a jacket, I put it in the wrong pocket, I just feel all lost, right? How do we live without them? <laughs> Did, do we just fall apart as a society and then we invented cell phones and everything came together? Well, I can remember going to the mall and you just tell someone you'd meet them there at a certain time. And you would just trust that your friend would be your friend and show up. And now it's like, I'm five minutes away. I'm in the parking lot. I'm walking in the door. Boaz knew where to go. And their day and age, they went to the city. They went to the gate of the town. Uh, that this was a place for business. Obviously, gates provide protection and security. You can close a gate and keep out who you want and keep in who you want. Uh, it was a meeting place. And there were politics and law and other things that took place there. If you remember last week, we talked about Ruth being a virtuous woman or Proverbs 31 mentioning the virtuous wife. Great chapter there, uh, especially if you're ever going to get married. Read Proverbs 31 and see if you fit and they fit. But it says this about her husband. I like how even in this patriarchal society of um, uh, Israel, they say her husband, right? It wasn't just about the men. It was about the women too in God's economy. But he says her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. That he doesn't even have to be an elder, but a good man, a godly man, a righteous man, is one who is known by the elders of the community. One who's involved in the community, involved in important decisions for the region. That they came to the gate and they said, hey, these guys are coming, do we go to war? Hey, do we do this business? They do business transactions there. And as believers, it's tempting to just bow out of all politics and say, I'm going to put my head in the sand. I did that for many years. And the Lord finally began to wake me up to it. Not that I'm going to run for president. Although that would be awesome, you know, my after service, I'll be fun right now. I'm just kidding. But it's not even supposed to be in your top five necessarily. But to say that we're not to be involved at all in our community, I think, and we can get into an argument about it later, is anti-scriptural. But it's our godly responsibility not to ignore the issues of our day. Be good citizens. Speak up for those who have no voice, for those who are appointed to die, it says in Proverbs. And pastors I've known in the past or served alongside with or listened to have been volunteer firefighters, chaplains, involved with politics, involved in business, that they were there out there in the community, serving the community and involved in it. Whether that, how much influence they had, you never know, but that they were there. And I've been blessed too to be able to meet different people in the community, be involved in different things over the years. And that, I think that, that that's great, that that's where we should be. Not that they're going to like what we have to say necessarily at the school board meeting, but that you're going to say the things that should be said. My late friend, Pastor Tony, I'm just glad to be able to talk about him. He's in heaven now, but he pastored up in Woodstock, New York. And Pastor Caleb asked where my uh, Hawaiian shirt was today. I didn't wear it. I didn't want to make you guys go blind again. But he wore tie-dye all the time. It's who he was. It's the things that God brought him out. He was a sound guy uh, doing concerts before God saved him. But he put on this festival called the Yeshua Festival. God's love is free for you and forever. They did school supplies, food clothes. They uh, did worship music. We shared the gospel. I was blessed to be able to be up there with him and uh, give altar calls and just really minister to the community. And you know what? The people were blessed. The people ate it up. They did it year after year. But who came, who was most impressed, I think, 
was the mayor, was the town council, or the other people, the police department. That, that it wasn't, we weren't doing it for that, but that he put it on with his heart for the Lord. And it, I bet this isn't in the notes, so forgive me if I go late again, Ben, but they were doing all these things as a church, all these things that were good, and he felt led to just stop doing all those things and pray for a season, and this is what God put on their heart, and God used it powerfully, and it impacted all levels of that community. Because God was in it. God wants to reach the people where they are, but he's going to reach them with the gospel. And this was Boaz, that he was an honorable man. He was known to the community. He was someone you'd want to be in the gates, right? I was talking to a friend yesterday. He was from California. Don't hate me because I have a friend in California. But I asked him, how's your boy Gavin? <laughs> you know, the governor. And uh, he went on this thing and, uh, you know, some things I can't repeat on air in case the FBI is listening. But sincerely, how do these people get in office? How do these people come to power? And we keep electing them there, Republican or Democrat, whatever, these are not the people we should want in office. And yet Boaz was the type of person we'd want to be in our gates. And I kind of regret even giving that guy headspace during this message. So kick him out of your head for a minute. But Boaz is somebody you'd want to trust with these things. And so as Boaz is at the gate early in the morning, didn't even go home to shower, a closer relative comes by and he says, Hey, friend, sit down here. I've got, I've got a chair just for you, right? I've got something I want to talk to you about. Can you just picture this going on? And then as he sits down, he grabs 10 other guys that are elders to come sit down. Hey, we've got some business to deal with first thing in the morning. They didn't even get their bagel with cream cheese yet. And the commentary says that this could be a complete surprise was a tactical advantage. And I like that because, you know, you, you don't want to send him a letter and give him time to get his lawyer together and do all his research. He kind of wants to marry Ruth. And so he's going to catch this guy and give him opportunity. But he's doing it in the right business way. He's not going to... He wants the upper hand. As they say in the, I believe they say in the special forces, never pick a fair fight. You always want to go in and be able to blow them away. But this part of the commentary I want to read because I read the commentary after I study and go through it a couple times. I never want to spoil it for myself and also helps me make sure I'm on some sort of right track. But he says this for a point that comes up later. And he says, in the ancient Hebrew, when Boaz greeted the near kinsman, he basically called him Mr. So-and-so. That the writer of Ruth never identified the name of the nearer kinsman because he was not worthy of the honor. That hurts. That's kind of heavy, right? Because, number one, it's one thing to never be talked about in the Bible, right? We can make an argument that Jesus prayed for all of us believers in the Bible or that they talked about us. But, you know, you and I, by name, aren't in there, right? I'm Timothy. But when the Bible says letter to Timothy, that's not to me. That's to Timothy back then. The letter to Timothy, I would not want you to read because it would be rough. Uh, but... It's one thing to be named in the Bible for doing good. David, Paul, all these guys, right? It's another thing to be named in the Bible for doing evil, right? King Ahab, Jezebel. No one names their kid Ahab anymore, or Jezebel, right? Or Delilah. Well, maybe somebody. Delilah is a nice name, but you know what I mean. Sorry. <laughs> it's another thing altogether to be talked about in the Bible, but your name isn't even worth mentioning. That man, you got so close... You're in the Super Bowl or whatever is your favorite sporting event, and they don't even mention your name, right? You're, in, you're, you're not even in 20th place. You don't even get your name on the wall. But they talk about you. I don't know if any one of us would want that. And we don't know, need to know his name because it doesn't affect the history. That God had a plan and God was using it, but this person, and I don't want to get into predestination and all that stuff, but this guy chose not to be a part of God's plan. And Boaz was ready up at bat, ready to go to hit that home run. 
And it's kind of heartbreaking to think about this guy, to think about it as we get into it. But Boaz lays out the case. Naomi has returned. The land was sold to his brother Elimelech. He's like, hey, bringing up that family case. He goes, I thought to inform you that doing the honorable thing was telling him, but he doesn't have to tell him exactly how much skin in the game he has. And again, like I said, the first service, if you go to the used car salesman, don't tell him how much money you have and just give me a car, right? You don't, you don't give away everything you're doing in that business transaction. It's not, not the art of the deal. So here's your chance to redeem it. And just to let you know, I'm ready because I'm the next guy in line. But it's up to you, Mr. So-and-so, whether you want to take this deal or not. And again, I think, is this not like the Lord in our lives? Always giving us chances. Always giving us golden opportunities to step up to the plate and do what we know to be right. Not only just for doing it to be right, but really to bless us in it. Sometimes I believe we are looking for them. We've been praying about an opportunity. We've been praying for a coworker, or a friend. We've been praying for a job opportunity, whatever it is. And God brings us along. Well, yes, Lord, thank you for blessing me with this opportunity. But maybe other times, if you're like me, you fall into a little bit of a spiritual nap. And you kind of forget to pray about certain things. And then something comes along and God meant it to be an opportunity. But because our heart's not in the right place, we see it as a burden. We see it as something that we shouldn't get involved with. And so we pass it up. And God goes, oh, man, I wanted to bless you so much through that. But you weren't ready. And a couple quotes. It wasn't the quote I was looking for for about opportunity, but I think they'll suffice. This one by Thomas Edison says, Opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. That a lot of times that opportunity means you have to do something. Um, it's not just handed to you like the, the lottery. Uh, success is where preparation and opportunity meet. And nothing is more expensive than a missed opportunity. Say Bobby Unser and H. Jackson Brown. And this one from the Army that I've edited says, Proper planning and preparation prevent poor performance. That yes, as believers, we should trust in the Lord. We should pray. And like James says, don't plan too far in the head, but if the Lord wills. But there's a thing to planning. There's a thing to preparation. And ultimately with the Lord to prepare our hearts for the things that he has for us, especially in these last days. That when they come along, we're ready to excel in them and not to drop the ball. Well, Boaz, as he's here, he gets the ten elders, the witnesses, uh, to ratify the terms of this agreement to make sure that everything was above board. That Boaz was not a politician. He was not going to go behind the scenes and have a bribery and get it out. He was going to make sure that it was in the open and that this deal was in the open and that no one could come back later and say, Boaz, you didn't do this the right way and have everything get messy. But I really can't get over what he says. He says, well, I thought to tell you. You know, I kind of read it as, oh, you know, by the way, there's this deal. I kind of thought to tell you about it. I'm kind of interested in it. Even though Boaz maybe is trying to hold back that grin. Right, sometimes my kids come to me with a loaded question, and they're grinning ear to ear. And I know they've got something up because that's what happens to me. When I do it, my wife goes, what's up? What Lego do you want to buy? You know, what is in this? But he does that. And the closer relative says, yeah, sure, I'll buy the land. You know, he doesn't even necessarily know the whole deal yet. He just hears real estate. He hears good deal. And he says, yeah, I'll buy it. Um, and he's just walking into town, and this falls into his lap, and he's ready to, to do it. And just to give us a little bit of context here, if you remember when Sarah, Abraham's wife, died, he went down to uh, Mamre, and he offers, uh, well, he wants to buy a burial plot from these guys who are there. And they go through this whole dealing process, if you read it, and the first part is, oh, it's like a friendly deal, and then Abraham says, no, 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 I'll pay you for it. And he goes, no, 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 you don't have to pay me. It's not really worth 400 shekels. But, you know, so he's telling him how much it is without saying, hey, it's 400 bucks, pay me. 
And my friends and I used to love that and say, oh, it's, it's just, what's $400 between friends? Because that's what they basically say. Well, you know, well, that's the price. And so that's kind of what's going on here. They've got a little wheeling and dealing going on in that Middle Eastern haggling style. And let's go on to verse 5. It says, Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, oh, by the way, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. So Boaz goes on. It's more than just a real estate opportunity. Guess what? You get to get married too. And you get to have kids with this other woman to carry on the name of your brother. Well, what if a son doesn't come first? Maybe you've got to have a couple kids before a boy comes. But he reminds him of his responsibility to carry on their brother Elimelech's name. And it's not just his brother, but his brother's sons and their posterity. That there is this importance to carry on the family name for the land, for the family value, uh, for God, but then also for this kind of seat, this political seat here at the gate. And there's this generational duty that I think sometimes is lost in our society of fathers to sons, of sons to grandsons and great-grandsons, of moms to daughters and so on and so forth, down the line and nieces and nephews and everybody. That family is important. And sometimes it's more important than we realize. That we just think about us sometimes. But it's really about, well, what's the legacy are we leaving to our children? And it's not just about a savings account or a property or making sure they can still have buy a gas car in five years when they try and make it all legal. And those are all good things. But ultimately, what is that spiritual uh, posterity that you're passing down? Like Paul said to Timothy, he said, you've got the faith of your mother and your grandmother. Well, where was Timothy's dad? I don't know. But how important it is that we pass that faith on to each other? And my aunt and uncle, I know that I came to the Lord because they were praying for me. They didn't call me up and say, Son, we're praying for you. You better get your life right. I just knew them growing up, and I knew that there was something special and different about them, but I didn't quite know, even though I grew up around the church. But they were praying. And God could have done any, any sort of thing, right? Not to put a guilt trip on us if we haven't prayed for family. But don't you want to be used by God in those ways? Don't you want your quiet prayer and your prayer time to bear fruit? I know I do. Let's go on to verse 5. It says, Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of... Did I read that right? No. You must also buy. Did I read this? Yeah, I'm sorry. Woo! What is it? I need. I need that caffeine, <laughs> right, Christopher? Um, the sentence. Uh, there we go. It would be a lot to take on, right? Maybe this is too much for me to take on this morning. Pastor Caves, just get up here and finish. But he puts him on the spot. Like land is one thing, great. You know, we all might consider a good land deal. You know, you ever scrolling through Craigslist or Marketplace and you go, I wasn't planning on buying that, but you know what? I got a couple of dollars on me. I'll go buy that now. But if it comes with a wife, I don't know that you're going to buy it. He puts on the brakes hard. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't do this. If I do this, I'm going to ruin my own inheritance. You know, I, I, I again here sneaking in there. Could he even afford it now financially? Was he making a stretch before? Was it just an excuse now? You know, he was ready to buy it before. He's not now. Would it cause problems with his sons in passing it on, dividing the land? I mean, is it really a problem to have more things to pass on? I don't think so. Uh, not to mention marrying another wife. I get that one. Come home and say, honey, guess what? <laughs> I bought a car on Craigslist and it came with a wife. <laughs> you know, nobody really wants to do that. It doesn't go well for those with more than wife, so don't get any ideas, right? But for time, we're not going to, we won't have you turn there, but for homework, you can read it in Mark 7. 
there's this thing called Corbin. Corbin, it might be another good baby name, I don't know. But the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they're upset with him because the disciples aren't going through the ritual washing when they eat, right? And he says to them, further down, he says, Moses says to you, honor your father and mother. And he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. That would be tough. I would have been killed in high school. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is, a gift to God, then you will no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. He's saying, you've got this little nest egg of money, and you've earmarked it for God's service. But when your dad comes to town, and he's lost his job, and he's old, and he can't get the new one, you say, no, dad, this money, <laughs> I'm giving it to God. It's Corbin. You can't have it. Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites. God doesn't want that nest egg. God wants you to take care of your family. Now, tithing and everything is a whole separate message. But man, God doesn't want us to do something that looks spiritual, acts spiritual, or sounds spiritual, but misses the point, right? What's true religion? Taking care of orphans and widows, James says. So spending this money to benefit himself and the the land was no problem, but doing the right thing, the honorable thing, added responsibility to himself that he might have had the means but he didn't have the character mark 10 talks about the rich young ruler who comes and wants to follow jesus but jesus says your riches are in the way sell your riches then follow me and he goes away sad and i get i get that sense from this guy here and he says you redeem it boaz buy it for yourself i feel a bit of shame there in his voice i think that's a good litmus test for our own maturity our own temperature with what the lord brings us is how do we react Are we excited when it blesses us and do we want nothing to do with it when it costs us a little bit of sacrifice and a little bit of responsibility? Let's go on. Verse 7, it says, Now there was a custom in uh, former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything that one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. There, therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. So there's this idea of swapping sandals that in Deuteronomy... There was a ceremony for the goel where the woman came and said, hey, I need a goel. And if he refused it, he could refuse it, but it cost him some honor, and she would actually spit on him. Uh, And I don't think Ruth ever would have done that based on her posture. In the previous chapter, she came in and she honored him. But that there is a loss of honor if you refused the right of the goel. And when we have chivalry or feminism or our rights, I think the scripture would have us check a lot of our personal rights at the door when it comes to loving one another, to turn the other cheek, to remain silent when you're getting chewed out of work even though you did nothing wrong. You know, the glory of kings is the Passover of transgression, that there's real power in that restraint. Now, it doesn't mean we always keep our mouth shut. It doesn't mean that we're a doormat or anything like that. But there's something to that, that our rights, we gave them up at the cross. And I think in some case, that there might be a stretch here that uh, you're going on with the person by giving them your sandal, right? You've got his sandal, he's got your sandal. You know that you've gone on together in this transaction as you limp home and wonder why his sandal is so loose or doesn't, <laughs> doesn't smell right. But I believe the Lord might say to us, if the shoe fits, wear it. That when responsibility comes our way and it's a godly responsibility, that we should take that responsibility on. Even if we don't know how it's going to work out with our inheritance, we don't know how we're going to make ends meet at the end. If God's put it on our heart to do it, especially to care for family, well, we should do it. It's not the government's responsibility. 
It's not your neighbor's responsibility. It's our responsibility, especially for family. And maybe even the shoe doesn't fit, but wear it anyway. You know, it's not going to be a glass slipper. Who wants to be a Cinderella, right? And Proverbs 23, 10 says, Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. I don't know about you, but I don't want God pleading their cause against me. I'm going to lose. I don't have enough lawyers for that. <laughs> can't work that one out. And we can't, shouldn't move the ancient landmark. And this is an ancient landmark. This tradition of the Goel in the Hebrew society was an ancient stone, an ancient landmark that said, do this. This is the right thing. This is what God wants for you, your family, and your society. And it's no wonder our society is falling apart. We've taken all the ancient landmarks and cast them into the sea. And what did Jesus say? He said, anyone who leads these little ones astray, better for them to have a millstone tied around the neck and be cast in the sea. Better be killed by the mob than lead the children astray. And Well, that's not in the notes, but that's what society is doing to children, and I don't want a millstone around my neck. But there's this thing with God's perfect will and permissible will. We won't get there, but if you could imagine, there's a door in heaven on one side that says enter in, but as you enter in, you look around and it says, huh, I chose you, right? That there's this side of us that has to choose, but that there's a side of God that chose us. And well, Mr. So-and-so didn't want to have anything to do with God's plan. He knew it was the right thing to do, and he didn't want to do it. And God's will and our obedience go hand in hand. That if we delight ourselves in the Lord, like Psalm 37 says, he will give you the desires of our heart. That if you want a blessed life, if you want a happier life, all these things, delight yourself in him. You want to serve God? Well, find yourself delighting in him on your own, in the car, in the shower, making dinner, whatever it is. He'll bring those opportunities before you, and they'll be a blessing when they come to you. And you'll be ready to say yes in them. Let's go on for time here. I'm trying, Ben. Verse 9, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Verse 9. Uh, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. He says, I bought all that was Elimelech's, Chilion's and Malon's, our brother and his children who have passed on. And I bought it from the hand of Naomi and Boaz's possessions increased in this moment. When he bought it, he got more land. He got a wife. They'd have an inheritance. He'd have more people to work his fields, potentially. But their honor, Elimelech's and his son's names, they lived on. That he got a little benefit, but their family got a greater benefit. That honor was spread. This wasn't about a transaction. That this was about honor, and this was about love and taking care of those that are close to you. And that although Ruth initiated the transaction with him, it really tied back to Naomi. And I really like that depth of family bond here, that it went back through generations and that it was important to think not about past generations, not about just those who died, but those who should have come if death hadn't happened, right? And remember back to the garden, death was never supposed to happen to us. It was a result of sin. And sometimes you wonder, why did this person die? Why did this happen? Why, God, why? He goes, well, there's sin in the world. I don't desire it, but I allow it because of sin in the world. And this covenant of redemption was about getting rid of that 
effect of death in their family, that their family would live on even though people had died. And he says, moreover, Ruth. And I love that this wasn't just business for him, that for Boaz, he was most blessed by this relationship with Ruth. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Especially if he really is 80 and he's getting married to a 40-year-old. That doesn't happen that often, right? He thought he had lost his chance at love, and he's found his chance at love through an opportunity to do the right thing with the Lord. In John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. That this transaction was not about just doing the right thing or about business or keeping up traditions. It was about doing the, it was about doing the holy thing. It was about doing the God thing. And they are witnesses here, and everyone whose agreement is on board. And they blessed him, and they said, uh, little did they know the, the depth of their blessing, right, that she would indeed be like Rachel, the mother of the 12 tribes of Israel, and Perez, who uh, gave birth to the Bethlehemites and, the tribe of, and part, came out of the tribe of Judah. And that's Jesus. Jesus was the offspring of all this. He was born in Bethlehem. And just the picture there, they point to Jesus, that their little lives are a part of God's big, redeeming plan. And again, they had no idea what was going on at the time. They were just fulfilling tradition, doing the right thing, falling in love. But Jesus would come out of this. God's ultimate salvation would come out of this. And that should remind us that God sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And when he allows things in our life, good and bad, when he puts opportunity in our life, hard or easy, he's not doing it so that he could use us or put us to work. Of course, we should work for the Lord and, and give our lives to him, right? As a, not as a, a way to earn salvation, but because we're saved, we get to. But God doesn't just want to use you. He wants to bless you. That this opportunity put in front of Boaz and Mr. So-and-so was to bless them. It was not to obligate them. It was not to weigh them down, not to guilt them, but to bless them. And the only way to get into that blessing was through obedience. Because obedience is not about adherence to the law to please God. Obedience is about aligning yourself with God's will that you'd be in the best place for you. Ten Commandments were a place to shelter you from the things that happen when we break the commandments, right? You don't steal, you're not going to go to jail in an ideal world, right? And that's why God doesn't want us to do that. Just like the Garden of Eden, God said, just don't eat from that one tree. Just be obedient to me in this one thing, and everything's going to be fine. (laughs) And if they didn't blow it, I would have blown it, right? And we only get one life to live. Wasn't that like a daytime show or soap or something? But there's so few paths in life. And making the right decision, especially on the big decisions, is important. But guess what? The big decisions are usually just a bunch of little decisions put together. And so God wants us to be obedient to him that we might not go too far down the wrong path. But thankfully for us, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That if we get off on the wrong path, if we've made those wrong decisions, no matter how long we've made them, your whole life, you're still breathing today. You can make the right decision today. And that is to come to Jesus, your Redeemer. Because 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. That God paid for you, paid for your life. That that's our reason to be obedient, not to be a good kid, but because of what he did for us at the cross. And 2 Corinthians 6, 2. In acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That God doesn't want any of us to be the Mr. So-and-sos. He wants us to be the Boazes and the Ruths, the one who... Just by simple obedience, simple faith and trust in God when they don't understand sometimes that he'd be able to bless them in it. As uh, one of my pastors used to say, stay under the spout where the glory comes out. That Just like, you know, if you want to take a shower, you got to be under the, the water head, right? 
you got to be under it. And just like with God, if we want to be under it, we have to be in a place where we're at least willing to be obedient. He'll help us when we can't. But we just need to be willing. And if you're willing this morning, God has brought you back. He has redeemed you. And I believe he's asking, what are you going to do with that redemption? What are you going to do with this opportunity I've put before you to live a life that's unlike the life you made for yourself, unlike the life that anyone else has for you? It doesn't matter who's robbed you, who's hurt you, what's gone on, what you've done wrong in your life. I can buy you back. I can avenge that blood. I can fix those relationships. So uh, as we pray and as we worship this morning, one last time, I want you to look to God. Ask him, God, those things that are on your heart, those things that are burdening you, ask him to help you. Ask him to help you be obedient and to get on the right path, not for obedience' sake, but that he might bless you. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, that we can come to it, and whether we spend five minutes in it or five hours in it, God, it's good. And we know ultimately your word is here to bless us. It's not to punish us, God. You took our judgment on the cross And God, that's why any of us are here today, is because of that. Whether we know you or we don't know you, we know that there's something true to that. And this morning, God, would you put that on our hearts? Would you put the thing that you've laid on our hearts, God, put it front and center. Make it clear to us, God, what the next steps are, how we can simply obey you. God, whether that's apologize to our spouse, whether that's ask our kids to forgive us, and it's been 20 years. God, whether that means laying down a sin that so easily ensnares us. God, whatever it is this morning, help us do the right thing and then tomorrow do the next right thing. And when we eventually fall, because we all will, help us to get back up and to keep going and to keep going forward because our Father in heaven loves us and gave himself for us. Thank you, Jesus. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light.